Let's start with a, a simple premise. And that is that where we are in our lives today very much is a result of decisions that we've made. I know for some of us, um, we have a tendency to blame others, blame our parents, blame other people for certain decisions we make. But at some point, we come to grips with this reality that where we are today, many times, is influenced by decisions that we make. Truth be told, for some of us, if our lives were a book, there would be certain chapters in our lives that we'd love to rip out and throw away. Anybody know what I'm talking about? For some of us, this is one of the reasons why it's been hard to transition back to church. Because of certain decisions that we made and the ramifications of them. It's been really hard. It's been threatening. It's been scary. For some of us, there are decisions that we're about to make. And they're red flags. And for some of us, we're choosing to ignore the warning signs get into some of that today. For many of us, who you are today, who we are today, is a result of decisions that we've made. Now, here's the thing. I've been a pastor for 20-whatever years. I've never met anybody who enjoyed making stupid decisions. I've never met anybody who said, I'm so glad I made that terrible decision. It was the best decision of my life was to make bad. Nobody wants to make bad decisions, even though we do. Here's this good news, and let's start off here. Do you know that God cares about the decisions that you make? God cares about the decisions you make. It's an amazing thing, but this amazing, great, big, big God who created the universe and is on the move to transform and to renew and to, and to bring about redemption for all of creation, this amazing God says, Annette, I care about the decisions that you make. I care about the small little decisions that you make. I care about, the, I, I care about who you marry. I care about when you get married. I care about the jobs that you take, the jobs that you don't take. I care about the relationships and friendships. I care about where you live, as we talked about last week, why you choose to live there. I care about these small, tiny, seemingly insignificant decisions that we all make. Why? And I'm going to continue to push this towards you. God says that he is on the move to bring about renewal, redemption for all of creation. And God says, in the economy of God, in this move of God, in the way that God is doing, our individual lives that are impacted by the decisions that we make, even decisions like who we marry, where we go to school, where we live, even the individual decisions we make, all at the end in the economy of God matters because those things oftentimes place us in situations where there are people that only we can meet. There are things that only we can There are places that only we can go to. And God says all of those things come together in me using you and our five-second lives to fulfill his amazing purpose. God says the decisions that you make and I make, he very much cares because he cares about you. Now, the the questions that we're asking in this next, I don't know, three, four-week sermon series, how does God direct us? How does God guide us? By the way, anybody have decisions that you need to make? Let's, I don't know, in the next three months, six months to a year? Raise your hands, yes? Okay. I figured this would be one of those relevant, practical topics. How does God do that? Let's start here. We need to get over some of the unbiblical ways that Christians go about 
making decisions, particularly as related to how God guides us, how God gives us his will, if you will. When I talk to a lot of people, I say, Pastor Peter, I, I have some major decisions to make. I'm pr- praying about who I want to marry. I'm praying about what I need to do. I'm praying about the next job I need to take. I'm praying about all these things. I'll often ask them, I go, how do you know that God is leading you? How will you know? And a lot of times people say this. They go, well, if I pray about it, I have what? Peace. And other times I pray about it and I don't have peace. Let me be very clear. Let me be very clear. Peace can be, operative word, can be one of the ways in which God leads us. However, however, what sin has done is that we will often feel very peaceful about doing things that are completely contrary to what God wants us to do. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The way this sin has influenced us and affected us is that, come on, are there not things that we're doing where we know there are not the right things to do? And yet, not only do we feel peace about it, we enjoy it. Anybody? Peace can be one of the ways in which God leads us. But I'm going to tell you right now, there are things that God will call us to do that will feel terrifying. They will cause tons of anxiety, and you will not experience peace. Give me an example. Okay, Jesus in Gethsemane, as he is about to be crucified for the sins of the world. He is in anguish. He is struggling. He is literally, physically in pain. And yet, Jesus is in the center of God's will. Peace can be one of the ways in which God leads us. But peace alone is not. Here's another. People go, I look for signs. Okay? I actually had somebody do this. And I'm going to change the story a little. I actually had somebody go, Pastor Peter, I was praying about whether she was the one. Okay? And what happened? So I was sleeping at night. And then I woke up and I looked over to my clock. And it said 219. It's her birthday. By the way, that was my wife's birthday. I did not do that. That was not how I went up. I'm like, what? What? Yes, 219 at my wife's birthday. I know that's God speaking. I prayed, Lord, I need you to show me. So I went the Bible. I go, whoa, look at this. It says what? And Judas hung himself. Okay, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a second chance. Yes, Lord, speak to me. Go and do likewise. Okay, I'm going to give you another chance, God. I'm going to give you another chance. <laughs> and what you must do, do so quickly. We laugh. When people come up to you and go, I'm looking for a sign. I'm looking for this supernatural spectacle where God speaks. I'm going to tell you, you know what I go? I go, you have a brain. Make a decision. What do you mean? I'm, try- I'm trying to be spiritual. And I tell people, you're being unbiblical. Because when it comes to discerning God's will, God says, I don't give you signs. Listen, I give you wisdom. When it comes to discerning God's will, listen carefully. 
When it comes to making good decisions in life, God says the way I work is I don't give you signs. And this doesn't negate. By the way, after this, some of you are going to come up to me and go, I know God spoke. Listen, I believe that God does that. But the way when you read Genesis Revelation, the way that God speaks, the way that God gives us uh, his will, the way that God leads us is that God says, I don't give you signs. I give you wisdom. And the amazing news is that we find scripture passages like this. James chapter 1, verse 15. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. By the way, if you are not a Christian today, today is a perfect Sunday for you to be here. Because one of those sermons where if you're a Christian or not, you go, that makes sense. Because it's wisdom. What is wisdom? Here's what one commentator said. And we're going to come back to this definition for the next three, four weeks. Wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. Let's say this together. Ready? Wisdom is competence with regard to the complex realities of life. And here's what you need to know. Wisdom is not identical to moral values. Wisdom is not identical to principles, being a principled person. Wisdom is not identical even to moral goodness. Let me give you an example. You might decide that you want to be a good Christian and you want to help a poor family. And you have wonderful intentions. You might be a good moral person and be principled in doing it. But you can do it even in an ethical way and totally ruin the family. Why? Because poverty is a complex issue that deals with tons of complex realities of life. Here's another reason why you need wisdom. Think about decisions that you need to make. Is it between good and bad? Oftentimes what? No. Is it between evil and, and, and is it between right or wrong? No. 80% of decisions that we make are good things. There are three, four choices, five, six, seven decisions that we can make. And they're all allowable. They're all good possible choices. And what you need, the Bible says, in order to do the thing is not signs, it's not magic answer, but it's wisdom. Wisdom to know what to do. And the 80% of decisions that you make where they're all allowable. It's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It's not moral, immoral. But decisions that are all allowable. Wisdom. Wisdom. In every area of our lives. Work area, love area, marriage area. Decisions you have to make. And you and I both know, you and I both know that if we don't make wise decisions, we're going to blow up our lives. Some of you are in here because you blew up your life. I just got two, three emails this week. People saying when I was 24, 25, 27, made decisions that not only blew up my life, but blew up the lives of those around me. Saying, I don't want to do that anymore. And the answer is not, well, God, just show me the red pill or the blue pill or the, no, no, no. God says, I give you, say this with me, the word, why? I give you why? Wisdom. So how do you get wisdom? We're going to go back to a very familiar passage, and then we're going to look at the larger context. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The Bible is constantly talking about life as a pathway. Seven to eight hundred times you read the book of Proverbs and it constantly says living life is like walking a path. And why is that metaphor often so used? First of all, think about it. Walking a path. It's what? Right, left, right, left, 
right, left, right, left. It's repeated. It's mundane. Ordinary. Repeated, mundane, steady, even boring. The Bible says, when you take right, left, right, left, eventually you get somewhere. Second reason why walking, loving life is like a pathway. Right, left, boring, repeated, mundane, every day. The Bible says who you and I are is not the result of big, major events. Who you and I become is the result of little choices, everyday decisions, seemingly small insignificant choices and assuming daily, regular, repeated disciplines. Some of the older folks among our church, is this true? It's a fallacy to go, oh, big events. As someone said, crisis doesn't shape your character. Crisis doesn't form your character. Crisis simply reveals your character. It simply reveals who you and I have become by right, left, little choices, every day, mundane, ordinary. It doesn't really matter. Insignificant. Because, you know, I'm 23 years old, and I think who I'm going to become, big events, big decisions. And the Bible says who you and I are is a result of right, left, small decisions, basic attitudes, small disciplines, every single Every single day. Wisdom. Now, here's what I want you to wrestle with during the sermon series. Not only is living life like a pathway, the Bible says wisdom is a pathway. That means that you and I become wise as a result of how we're doing the little things, how we make the small choices, basic attitudes, basic postures every day. How you better become wise is by assuming basic daily disciplines that are repeated every day, right, left, right, left. I'll tell you why this for some of us really resonates. And for some of us, it's kind of like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Because for a lot of us, we think wisdom is not a pathway. We think wisdom is a door. We think of wisdom this way. I'm going to go, there's a door, a latch, turn it, a key, turn it, I walk through, voila, I know what to do. You don't think this is true? Have you been to a bookstore lately? I'll tell you how this is enforced in our culture. Go to a bookstore! There are sections after sections after sections from very bright, intelligent people. Four steps on how to find your mate. Oh, okay. Six steps on how to have a great marriage. Oh, okay. Spend $2,000 on this 10-set DVD to become a successful person. Okay. Sections after sections after sections. How? Mentality that's reinforced. Wisdom is like what? It's like a door. Read it, get the information, get the knowledge, get the experience, and voila, I become a wise person. And the Bible says it's not a door. It's a what? A path. Right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Basic attitudes, small attitudes, small disciplines every single day. This is why you and I are so jacked up in terms of how we go about making decisions. 
This is the reason why many of you, when you say, I want to discern God's will, what you're asking me and others is, show me the door. Show me the door. Open the Bible, point, show me the door. Look for a sign, 219, my clock, show me the door. We're looking for a door, and the Bible says it doesn't happen like that. It's a long, patient quest every day over and over and over and over. Are you wise? Are you becoming wise? Wisdom, the Bible says, never happens quickly. There are no shortcuts. Can I just ask, is this good news or bad news? 20-somethings, 20-somethings. Because <laughs> I already know the answer to those in their 50s and 60s. 20-somethings, I just ask you, I, I need you to speak. Okay, we're going to have an open moment. Is this good news or bad news? <laughs> Say what, Doc? It feels like bad news. Why does it feel like bad news? Because it's hard, right? Because it's hard. Because you know what? We don't want to do the right, left, right, left. We don't want to do the small, basic, attitude, discipline. We want to know now. We want to do it quickly. I want the knowledge. I want the, I want the technique. And the Bible says, then you're a fool. And we're going to get to that. So what are the basic disciplines? Here are four, and then we're done. Number one, wisdom comes from knowing the gospel. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Hey, you don't get the gospel at the end today. You get it at the front today, okay? So in case you need to leave earlier. Wisdom comes from knowing the gospel. Look at Proverbs 3.3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Let me read that one more time because this is the introduction to the passage that you know. Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6. Love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God. And Here's what you need to know. The words love and faithfulness, Hebrew chesed, are two Hebrew words that are always used of God. Love and faithfulness, always used of God. And they're always used of God in terms of how he feels, what he feels for with his covenant people. Love and faithfulness of God. The love word love. The word chesed, beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. It literally described, listen to this, industrial strength, absolutely committed, unfailing love of God for his people. Chesed, love, describes the industrial strength, absolutely committed, forever unfailing, eternal love of God for his people. And faithfulness, it's just a synonym for that. And the Bible says, you want to be wise? Listen, listen. You want to be wise? You want to be wise? He says, then you have to bind. You have to bind the love and faithfulness of God. You have to bind the chesed love of God around your neck and write them on your heart. And immediately, you and I both know that is way beyond, I just know it. I know about God's love. No, you don't. No, you don't. I know that's love. No, you don't. What the author of Hebrews is saying is this. He's saying, you need to take that love and faithfulness of God, and you need to pound it into your heart. You need to take the love and faithfulness of God, and you need to pound it 
You need to pound it into your heart until it becomes real to you. You need to pound the love and faithfulness of God into your heart. And you need to find the daily disciplines, right, left, right, left, right, left. We'll talk about later. You need to pound it so that every day you are forced to remember and to remind yourself that God loves you and that God is faithful to you. The Hesed love and faithfulness of God. Pound it into your heart. Why? What's the very next word? Verse 5. Say it with me. What's the very next word? Trust in the Lord. Did you ever notice that? We go right to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I know is, many of us go, I have a hard time. Do you know why you have a hard time trusting God? Because you skip right through verse 3 and 4. What is verse 3 and 4? Find the faithfulness and love of God and pound it into your heart until it becomes so real to you that your automatic, inevitable response to situations is, he loves me like that, he is faithful to me like that, why would I not trust him? Why is it that people who trust God unconditionally make good decisions? Listen, again, we think technique. If I just trust in the Lord, we go, he'll tell me. If I just trust in the Lord, he'll show me. No, no, no. The book of Proverbs says that the reason why people who trust God make good decisions is because people who trust God have an inner poise and an inner calm regardless of what's going on around. People who trust God have an inner poise and an inner calm. Picture raging sea storm. A person who trusts God in the midst of it all has an inner poise and an inner calm. So they don't make decisions impulsively. They don't make decisions based on emotions alone. Wise people, hello, don't make decisions out of insecurity and fear. Question, when is the last time you and I made decisions because we were either insecure or afraid? And how did that turn out? Wise people, the Bible says, who trust God. Don't make a decision because God goes, mm, red pill. Do it. Yeah, that one. But the Bible says people who trust God are wise and they make a decision. Why? Because they have bound the love of faithfulness of God so into their hearts that regardless of what the situation is and the storms around them, there is an inner poise and an inner calm. That even if the circumstances around them are raging, and even if there's confusion and, this, uh, and, and unclarity and anxiety, people who trust God remain steadfastly calm, unshakable poise, and says, I trust him. I trust him. Sit there and go, oh, I know about God's love. No, you don't. Because if you did, you would have such calm and such poise I'm 28 years old. I don't want to be single anymore. An inner calm and an inner poise doesn't mean you're not in touch with your feelings or reality. I need to make a decision. I'm 35 years old and I don't. An inner calm and an inner poise 
where no matter what the situation is, that strength and security can never be dislodged. Never. Um, do you trust God unconditionally? Can I just say this and then we'll move on? If God is the most important thing in your life, you will trust God unconditionally. Put it another way, the thing that's keeping you from trusting God unconditionally is that he is not the most important thing in your life. Just admit it. He's not. It's okay. I'm not saying you're a bad Christian or unspiritual. Speaking to myself this morning. See, most of us begin our relationship with God conditionally. What do I mean? God, I'll go to church if things are going well. So that's why I know some of you are here today because things are going well now. I'll obey if you answer my prayers. If, if things go accordingly, then, then I'll submit and I'll trust. But here's what you're doing and what I'm doing. Anytime we say, God, I'll trust you if, if there are conditions to our trust, whatever's on the other side is our real trust, and all you and I are doing is using God to get to that which is our real trust. And that which is our real trust, that's the thing we place our hopes on. You want to know what it means to trust God unconditionally? God says, I have to become the most important thing in your life. And if I'm about to become the most important thing in your life, unless you bind my love and faithfulness and write it on your heart, unless my love and faithfulness have been pounded into your heart, you won't be able to trust me because I'll never be the most important thing in your life. You have to know the gospel. Secondly, the Bible says you have to know yourself. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. I'll be real quick with this, okay? I won't spend too much time. The book of Proverbs has an incredible paradox and this is what paradox is, okay? He says, wise people, wise people in the book of Proverbs are extremely aware of their foolishness and fools actually think they're wise. Some of you resonate with this already? Wise people, the Bible says, are walking around going, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. I'm a fool. Fools are walking around going, I'm wise. I'm wise. I'm wise. In other words, if you want to become wise, you have to be barreling down towards the path and going, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. Why? Why? Let's just break it down here. Okay, again. The Bible says uh, wise people are not only calm and poised, but they're also very much in touch with reality. I wanted to go, earth to Sarah, earth to Sarah, you've heard that, right? Earth to Peter, earth to come down to reality. And the one reality you have to know, to know all the other realities, you have to know yourself, meaning our limitations, our weaknesses, our flaws, our besetting sins. Okay, I'm still not making sense. Let me put it this way. When is the last time you made a bad decision? And you made a bad decision because, I don't know, you have a tendency to compare yourself to other people. Anybody? When's the last time we made a bad, bad decision? Because we were extremely, again, insecure and afraid. When's the last time we made a bad decision because we couldn't handle criticism? When is the last time, put another way, we made a bad decision because, oh, I don't know, we're foolish. Go, I don't want to be foolish anymore. The Bible says the first step towards not becoming foolish is be aware of your foolishness. You have to know who you are. Does this make sense? And here's the thing. 
Unless you and I are so gripped, so powerfully gripped by the love and faithfulness of God, unless the love and faithfulness of God has been pounded into our hearts, you and I will never, ever have the courage to stare straight at the flaws, weaknesses, limitations, and besetting sins of our lives. Never. What we're going to do? We'll deny it. We'll repress it. You know, you keep doing that because you compare yourself to other people and you keep making bad decisions because you're comparing yourself to other people. I don't compare myself to other people. Sure you don't. Denial. Repression. You know, you keep doing that because you're really, really insecure. You're jumping from one relationship to another because you're trying to find security in that. You can't, I'm, I'm not insecure. Who are you talking about? You're insecure. Okay. Repress it. You can't handle criticism, Peter. What do you mean you can't? What do you mean? I could handle criticism. I could handle criticism. You can't handle criticism. Okay, you can't handle criticism. Fine. Welcome. Unless we're willing to acknowledge that we're fools, we will never be wise. And we will never acknowledge our foolishness if you don't have the inner strength to do non-traumatic self-examination. In AA, unless you and I are willing to be rigorously honest. I just want to go out there and shake some of you going, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Are you willing to admit that? Do you have enough security and poise to see yourself and go, why do I keep making these bad decisions? Oh, I know why I keep making bad decisions, because I'm a fool. Now you're on your journey towards wisdom. This is such common sense. Read the book of Proverbs. It's like, that makes sense. You need to break it down a little bit, but that makes sense. Doesn't it? How many of us, this is, this is the reason, why, I'll get to this later. I love my AA friends. You know why? Because they don't, they don't, you know what? They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't mess around. They, they have got to a point where they go, in order for me to live, I need to be rigorously honest. You know what they're admitting? They're saying, I'm a fool. And I'm going, you're extremely wise. How are you able to do that? Because I'm able to do non-traumatic self-examination. How are you able to do that? Because I know God loves me and that's all that matters. Truth be told, 90% of us have not reached that point. And we're acting a fool. And we think we're wise. <laughs> Are you barreling down towards wisdom? Because you're saying, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. And the Bible says, oh, on your journey towards being wise. Are you confident enough to do non-traumatic self-examination? Are you confident enough and secure enough this morning to go, I know what he's talking about. My tendency to compare myself to other people, Facebook, get off of it. <laughs> do, I, do I need to keep going? I know it feels like therapy in here this morning. That's the book of Proverbs, by the way. Let me just say, does this make any sense? How many are willing to admit this morning, I'm a fool? Hey, see, this is... Annette, are you saying, I'm a fool? I'm a, I am. I, <laughs> I know, you know you are, right? I'm a fool, too. Me, too. I, something about older, more mature folks who just go, I'm a fool. And something about that 23-year-old go, I know it all. I don't know why that is. 
the wisdom differential. I don't, I don't get it. Dan Radakovich, you got a big old smile on your face because I know you do. Okay, now let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay. Wisdom comes from knowing God's database of his ways. And guys, I wish I had a whole sermon on this, but I got to be quick, okay? Because this is some of the most powerful truth that you'll ever come across. Proverbs 3 1. My son, Michael, can I get my word my water? Oh. And you guys tell, I'm so super excited about this this morning. This is like, this is for me, it was just like, oh, life transforming. So my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands, here it is again, in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace. The word commands there is a Hebrew word, Torah. Torah, keep my Torah in your heart. In other words, Solomon, the author of Proverbs is saying, you have to, you have to master the scriptures. If you want to be wise, you have to master God's database of his ways. And this is one of the daily right, left, right, left. This is one of those daily disciplines that you and I incorporate in our lives. You take the scriptures deep into your heart. You meditate. You study. You memorize. And why is that important to be a person of wisdom? Why is it so important, listen carefully, that we become immersed in God's database of his ways in order to become wise? And please, again, it has nothing to do with, I need some pick-me-ups, so I'm going to close the Bible, open it. Bible says when it comes to God's will, I'm going to do a little theological work here, okay, for the next five minutes, pay attention if you're taking notes. Bible says when it comes to God's will, there are three types of his wills. There's the providential will of God, there's the moral will of God, and there's what you and I think of as personal will of God. Providential, moral, personal. Real quick, I'm going to go through. What is the providential will of God? Providential will of God is that will of God where God says, I'm going to do this because I'm God. It's the sovereign purposes of God. God says, I don't need your obedience to do it. I don't need your faithfulness to do it. This is the will of God where God is just going to be God and do it. Fulfill sovereign purposes. And it's found all over scripture. All over. Thousands of them. I could only point to two. Galatians 4.4. 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God says, as a part of his providential will, as a part of his sovereign fulfilling his purposes, God says, a time will come when I am going to send my son. Did anybody have to pray? God, will you send your son? Nobody had to pray. Will you send your son? God says, I'm God. I'm doing it. Here's another one. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the red great, uh, the, the dead, great and small standing before the throne. The dead were judged according to what they had done. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Does anybody in here need to pray? God, will you judge us at the end? Bible says, sovereign purpose of God, sovereign will of God. Every single person will stand before God one day, kind of scary, yes, and give an account for what we've done. Every single one of us, God says, I'm doing it. Don't need you to pray about it. Don't need you to seek my heart for it. God's doing it. The sovereign will of God, providential will of God is that will of God that's not dependent on our obedience or our faith. It's a sovereign working. He's going to act. Now, here's the powerful truth, real quick, powerful truth. Oftentimes our scripture, God fulfilled his providential will or his sovereign purposes through human beings, through human agents. Example. I can go a ton of examples, but just a couple. Luke chapter 1 verse 30. The angel said to Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. God says, I'm going to send my son into the world, my sovereign purpose 
fulfill my will. But the way I'm going to do that, Mary, is I'm going to use you. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless the nations of the world. I need a human agent to do that. And God says, I will use you, Abraham. Moses, I need to free my people from, his, from bondage to slavery in Egypt. Who, God chooses Moses. The scripture is filled with examples in which God fulfills his providential sovereign will through human agents. Here's the principle. The more familiar you and I become to God's providential will. What God is going to do, what God is up to, the more clearly we'll be able to discern God's personal will for us. And I say that again. The more familiar you become with what God's going to do, what God is up to, his providential will, what God's going to do regardless, God says the more clearly and easily you'll be able to discern my personal will for your life. Second type of will, the moral will of God. What is the moral will of God? The moral will of God are those will of God throughout scriptures, the do's and don'ts, the commands of God, we think of them. It's that aspect of God's will where we don't need commentaries, we don't need explanation. Forgive one another. Okay, forgive, what does that mean in Greek? It means forgive in Greek. Love one another. What is that love? We love doing this, right? Well, C.S. Lewis wrote that there are four types of love. There's agape love. Da, 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 da. Love each other. It's that aspect of God's will where God says, you don't need commentaries. You don't need explanations. Obey. Obey. Now, here's the thing. For those of us that get all hung up on the commands of God, the rules, and da, 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 da. Remember in our church, we talk about this all the time. All the commands of God need to be understood in the context of what? A covenant relationship. The closest thing we have right now is marriage vows between a husband and wife. In other words, you cannot understand the commands of God in Scripture unless you understand this. Given in the context of a covenant relationship where God says, I'm your husband, you're my wife, I'm your spouse. Will you do this because you love me? Don't worship other idols. Why? Don't cheat on me. Don't have any other gods before me. Why? Because I'm God and I'll punish you. God says, no, I'm your spouse. I love you. Moral commands of God. There's three. Let me give you two, negative and one positive. It's God's will, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Peter, I'm trying to discern God's will. Should I pray about whether I should be sexually pure? No. <laughs> no. But you know why you're laughing? Because what? Because some of us are actually doing that. God says, moral will of God. You don't need to ask. You don't need to question. You don't need commentary. Just do it. Here's another one. Colossians 3. But now you must also rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Again, God, should I pray? Should I pray? Should I pray about gossip? No, you don't need to pray about it. Should I pray that I need to be trusted? No, you don't need to pray. God says it's my will that you obey. First Thessalonians 5.16 is a positive. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Should I give thanks to God? Yes. Why? He says so. <laughs> Do you know why I bring this up? Let me be serious. Because some of us are praying about God, what's will for my life, in areas where God has clearly spoken. We are using God, what's will for your life, for me, as an excuse to not obey.
And you could hear a pin drop in here. Why? Because there's some of you who are in relationships that you needed to get out, I don't know, like last year. But you're sitting there going, God, what's your will for my life? You're actually asking, God, what's your will for my life in an area where God has said clearly, get out. Some of us, Lord, I need to pray about, should I share the gospel with that coworker? You don't need to pray about it. Do it. Here's another one. God, should I pray about forgiving? God says, forgive as I have forgiven you. And he didn't give that for God. He gave that for you. Meaning, God is not affected by whether you forgive that person or not. But your toxic heart that is growing a cancer of hatred and bitterness, that's going to eat you alive. Why are you praying, God, what's your will for my life in things that God has already spoken clearly? So here's the principle. You ready? You got to admit, the more obedient we become to the moral will of God, what God has already clearly said, the more clearly we'll be able to discern the personal will of God in our life. Are you hearing me? I feel like this God's up there going, why are you asking me about things you don't know when you're not even doing things that you already do know? Huh? Why are you asking me about things that you don't know when you clearly intentionally have no intention of doing another way? It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we do not do what we already know. So let me put it all together on why the Bible says you need the scriptures. The more familiar, Michael, we become to the providential will of God, what God has already said, and the more obedient we become to the moral will of God, well, God, then you and I will be able to discern clearly what God wants to do in those individual situations where we go in. God, I have five choices. When I talk to God, people who go, I don't hear from God, they're not familiar with his ways, and they have no intentions of obeying what he's already said. And God's going, I love you. I want to speak. By the way, this is the reason why <laughs> I've, met non <laughs> I've met brand new Christians who could hear God so clearly, it's spooky. It's spooky. Do you know why? Because their attitude and posture is not for like, just the church folks. Their attitude is, that's what God has said. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, but you know, there are four different interpretations of love. It doesn't matter. It says love. I'm going to love. And they can't get enough of the scriptures, and they just devour it. The more familiar you become with God's providential will, the more obedient you become to God's moral will. Are you, are you feeling? Okay. I'm going to finish here in like two, three minutes. Let's spend over here. I was like, is your sermon going to be long this morning during our worship prayer time? I go, that's a stupid question. Of course it's going to be long. <laughs> I'm done. Listen, I'm done. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. I'm done like two, three minutes. So, so, are you guys following me so far? Listen, this is going to be a powerful sermon series because some of you are going to need to go home and literally unpack this for the rest of the week. Okay? Rest of the week. Now, for some of us sitting here going, but Peter, I know that there was a time when I heard God clearly. I know. And I'm saying, I'm not denying that because the last principle is this one. Wisdom comes from knowing trouble. <laughs> Janice, are you feeling this? Say it louder. Amen. Because what God's word says. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. My son, my daughters, 
Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. And I wish this last point, I could literally like sit here over a coffee with one of you individually and explain and not, ah, because you're going to be like, that's harsh. Because I wish I can reason with you. Because what the Bible says, and this is hard, is that you'll never be wise without knowing trouble. You'll never be wise without knowing trouble. Verse 11, 12 is a little surprising because when you read chapter 3 of Proverbs, it says, if you, if you, if you obey God, follow God, then generally your life will go out. And then all of a sudden, verse 11, 12, we get this, what? It says, you're going to know trouble. You're going to know pain. You're going to know discipline. And here's the powerful truth, really. Wisdom doesn't avoid suffering. Wisdom takes suffering and transforms it into more wisdom. Wisdom doesn't avoid suffering. Wisdom takes wisdom and suffering, and it transforms it into more wisdom. You go, how does it work? This is, so, this is common sense. Book of Proverbs. It's truth. That's why some of you are going, that's truth. That's what Here, here's the reason why. See the way God works? <laughs> Most of it. It's one thing to go, God, what's your will for my life? Tell me for consideration. Tell me your will so I can contemplate it. Tell me your will so, you know, I can consider it. And it's another thing to go, God, what's your will for my life? Because whatever it is, the answer is yes. Let me just ask you something. If you're God, and somebody comes to you and goes, tell me, what do you think about this area? <laughs> and we expect God to go, now, if I were you, God doesn't go, if I, God goes, when I give my will, when I reveal my will, I don't expect to go, I'll consider it. Oh, you know, God says, I expect obedience, action, response. And let's just be totally, totally frank here. For vast majority of us, we go, God, what's your will for my life? For consideration. For contemplation. I'll, I'll think about it. And God goes, when you get to a place of want to, God, I want to do your will more than my job. I want to more than my preference for who I marry. I want to more than where I get to live. I want to do your will more than anything else. The answer is yes, God will speak. And what gets us to that place of, God, I want to faster than anything? Michael, it's trouble. It's trouble. What gets us to that place of God I want to is when a person says, I'm desperate. I'm at the end of my ropes. God, I'm incompetent. See, half of us are way too smart for our own good. And the other half of us are way too prideful and arrogant for our own good. That we're going, I'm going to fight you all the way. Tell me what your will is. You know, I'll consider it. Tell me what your will is. You know, if I like it, I'll do it. And God goes, trouble, discipline. Why? Because I love you. Because nothing gets you to the place of open hands, empty hands, my agenda, my priorities. I let go, speak. Discipline alone doesn't get you to that place. I think it was John Calvin who said, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Same discipline for some of you will lead to repentance, God I'm surrendered. And for some of us, it'll lead to, I'm going to even, 
I'm, I'm going to become even more independent. More again. The same sun that melts some of us will harden some of us. The choice is up to you. Wisdom comes from knowing trouble. Comes from saying, God, I'm broken, I'm desperate, let your will be done, not mine. Some of you are there today. And your response is either going to be, God, I trust you, or I'm going to be the master of my own fate. <laughs> Thank you very much. Here's two questions I want to ask you as we're ending on whether you trust God. Two questions, then we're done. Are you willing to do everything God says in Scripture about that area, whether you agree with Him or not? Trust, trust, unconditional trust. Second question. Are you willing to accept anything that happens in that area, whether you understand it or not? Because if our posture this morning is, God, if it doesn't make any sense to me, I'm out. Something else besides God is your real trust. God, if it, if it, if it turns out in a way that I don't like, then I'm out. God says, something else besides me is your real trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Are you a person of wisdom? I'm going to leave you with this as we pray. Let love and faithfulness never bind them. Bind them. The chesed love of God. Bind, pounded deep into your heart so that when trouble comes, you will not be hardened, but that you'll be softened. So that when the storms comes, you'll be calm, you'll be a person of poor. So that you would have the courage to know your limitations and your foolishness. That is love and faithfulness bind.